Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. I am your host, Tamala Shah. And today we have a extra, extra, extra special guest. Her name is Mary Giuliani. She has written a wonderful book that we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into a lot of different subjects. But Mary, welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. Well, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, I can't wait. We, we we have a book that you have that you're going to have published on the 21st of February. Right. And I cannot wait to get into it, but I really want you to kind of get into your story because that kind of gets into okay. how you ended up publishing the book. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, um, I've been a master certified coach for many, many years. And so I've worked with all types of clients and and uh, I started, uh, I got into recovery in 1987 with uh, alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes, and food. And and so I've been on my recovery journey for many, many years, and I was still struggling in uh, ways that many of us in the recovery world struggle, like with still with food, still with sleep, with anxiety, with relationships. And um, so it wasn't until I was 57 that I learned that I had complex PTSD. And so what I'll, I guess, get into a little bit is, is what happened to me. Did you want me to share what, what happened to me growing up? Or Absolutely. Just... Yes. Okay. So what happened with my childhood was I was, I was born in a middle-class family, Southern California. Um, and my mom was pretty, uh, there, I noticed a lot of tension between my parents when I was really young, probably five years old. And my dad coped with food. So he ate and he was sort of emotionally shut down and her biggest gripe with him was he would never talk about conflict or how to resolve Mm -hmm. conflict. And so her anger and stuff just kept on building to where eventually she started drinking alcoholically when I was about eight, nine years old. So in the meantime, I, I was using food to cope with my, just, you know, when you're a kid, if your parents aren't okay, you, you just can't feel okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, so I, you know, my, my dad modeled food as a way to cope. And so, you know, I naturally started eating and started gaining weight. By the time I was six years old, I was already getting bullied at school for being an overweight kid. And it was so horrible. For a child, food is the way, right? Oh, yeah. It's the the only thing. Yeah. It's the only thing that you have access to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it, you know, it, it soothed a part of me that my mom really couldn't soothe because she was so caught up in her own anxiety and resentment toward my dad and then her drinking. And my dad really wasn't emotionally available. And so, and you know, that's what I saw him do. He did food. And so it's like, okay, I'll do food. Yeah. And, um, and so throughout my childhood, I kept gaining weight because I kept on, you know, eating and uh, to soothe myself and medicate the pain of witnessing my mother's alcoholism really develop. And it was just horrifying to watch my mom really succumb to the disease of alcoholism and, you know, 
instead of her being like a parent for me, eventually I became like her parent because she was so depressed and bummed out and stuff there. And I had never drank a whole beer or anything. And uh, I tasted it like for my mom and my dad. And I never really liked the taste of beer. But I walk into this party and there's like a, like a sea of uh, teenagers drinking beer. And like, I'm like thinking that there's going to be parents there because it's a birthday party. Mm-hmm. And literally, finally, after a few minutes, my friend and I are like, there's no parents anywhere. It's just all teenagers drinking beer. And I noticed a joint getting passed around the party, too. So I got offered a beer and I thought, well, I don't really like beer, but I'll try. Everyone seems like they're having a really good time. So I tried it. And I would say about halfway through, I felt a sensation ripple through my body that was like, whoa, this is amazing. And and like, I got to keep doing. So I kept, even though I hated taste, I kept drinking it. And then I got another beer. And like on the second beer, I was like, well, if I chug it down really fast, I won't have to deal with the horrid taste. So I did. And I, a a level of uh, euphoria uh, came over me that I had never, ever experienced. It was like an elixir sent down from the gods. (laughs) I mean, honestly, with everything that you had dealt with, I'm I'm sure it probably felt like peace. You had a bit of peace. Oh, Oh, totally. Completely. Yeah. And it was like a peak experience, really. And so, um, so of course, you know, I had to get that feeling back again. And um, things happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I started hanging out with people that partied and could access alcohol and pot, even though we were only 16. And then that started a whole, you know, party lifestyle for me. And in the beginning, it was like heaven. It was great. And yet within a few years, I knew that I mean, well, within a few years, I had literally found people where I could drink every day, uh, even though I was like 17, 18. And um, and given that beer has so many calories in it, I ended up gaining a lot of weight, even more weight. And um, I would say by the time I was 19, I knew I was not I knew I was an alcoholic. Um, But my my philosophy about it was kind of cavalier it was sort of like well I know I'm an alcoholic but I'm going to ride it as long as I can and so finally after 10 years I was 27 and I was over 300 pounds drinking smoking pot cigarettes every day and um hating my life and it was no longer the party had ended a few years after it started it was just a compulsive addiction that I couldn't stop and so I went to AA and thank God they had uh, gay AA meetings and, um, got, you know, I took a couple starts and stop, stops, but I eventually got sober and my whole life started changing. I started learning how to cope in ways that were healthier. Uh, I made a lot of sober friends. I, um, I ended up going to OA for Overeaters Anonymous and lost like 140 pounds. And so it was like this complete transformation and new um, world. And that, yeah. And then like about two years after I got sober, I found Codependence Anonymous because, yes. Well, because, uh, oh my God. I mean, I probably didn't even realize, you know, when you were young, all that you were doing, like you said, for your mom. Um, but before you get to that, I have a quick question. Sure. Um, so when you were, you know, struggling with the alcoholism and the drugs, did your parents even identify it? Did they see it? Well, this is the thing. So my dad, uh, there was so much turmoil in their relationship. And my mom was so, you know, she drank every day, got drunk every day. So 
at first, when I first started partying and stuff, she would say things like, I was like 16. She's like, well, you know, Mary, alcoholism runs in the family. And and she wasn't referring to herself, believe it or not. That's that's what I was wondering. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't I just pushed it off. You know, it's like, uh, you know, this is heaven for me in my mind. I'm I'm just gonna and, and by you know, her, her drinking was so bad that she and her drama with my dad was so intense that she mm-hmm. you know, I would come to home drunk all the time and it really yeah. wasn't an issue, you know, it wasn't a big thing. Right. And um I mean, that's another real, you know, realization now that I understand about childhood trauma and complex PTSD that they didn't protect me from, from Absolutely. that path, right. you know? And, um, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah. Wow. Well, that I wondered because, you know, sometimes you would hope that the parent would wake up uh-huh. and see that the child is struggling. Right. But sometimes when you're so far in your trauma and dysfunction, you don't even realize everything that's going on around you, even though what's being what's suffering is what you're supposed to protect. Right. Exactly. And those of us who grew up with the parents that had addictions and all that, we weren't protected. No, and not that's at all. Unfortunate, which really led us to be codependent. <laughs> so. Exactly. Exactly. And so. Yeah. So like, even by the time, just a, a little story, uh, when I was about 10 or 11, I remember noticing my mom had some of these personal growth books laying around the house. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Wayne Dyer's first book, uh, Your Erroneous Zones. It was just, you know, basic personal growth. And I remember reading it and thinking, Oh, wow. I wonder, I wonder if I, if I could like learn this and then help my mom with this, you know? Yes. And so I started reading her personal growth books and eventually she would like, uh, you know, she'd walk into the kitchen with her cigarette and her glass of wine and I'd say, Hey mom, Wayne Dyer says that if you use I statements, when you talk to dad, he won't feel so attacked. And maybe you guys can, you know, resolve your, your stuff. And she'd be like, Oh, well, that sounds interesting. So I got the green light from her to, you know, talk to her about these chapters yeah. in, in this book. And literally, that was how my coaching practice started. That's what I was going to say. You were coaching back then. <laughs> I know. And so I literally would go through the book and highlight and underline the dog ear pages so that I would find the, the most relevant lesson for my mom because I was trying to save her because I was really trying to save. I was trying to get my mom back, you know. Exactly. And, and so, yeah, I became a coach when I was 35, but I really started coaching when I was 11 with my first client, my mom. Right. And um yeah. And so even though it never really helped her in any significant way, it was at least something I could tangibly do to try to stop the insanity. Right. Yeah. And that's what we do. We try to save. I mean, and that's you doing it as a preteen and as a teen. It's normal. You know, I mean, I, I can yeah. remember doing it in my 30s. You know, oh, wow. I've, I've said on my on the, po- on the podcast before um, that I literally told my mom, if you stop drinking, I will take you to Mexico. And I took her all expense paid on a trip to Mexico. <laughs> and two weeks after we got back, she started drinking again. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so yeah. you know, you have to learn that it doesn't matter what you do until they are ready. Exactly. It's not going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, exactly. Yeah. I, well, it, it's interesting because it, like then before I really got into recovery with my codependency, even though I had been sober for many years, I'd have my, you know, I'd be with my girlfriends and 
I would be reading these personal growth books with the total focus on them, how they could fix my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And, and asking if I could read chapters out of it to them, just like I was with my mom. You know, I, yeah. yeah. Or like yeah. thinking, oh, well, maybe I could just leave the book on the, the like in front of like her bathroom, you know, right. whatever. Yeah. And, and once I got into recovery with codependency, what I realized was, First of all, it's kind of arrogant to think that I have the answer for someone else. Yeah. They have a higher power and I'm not it, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and um, the, the, the deeper issue is that when I, when I recognize that everybody has their own path and they have to choose whether they want to heal or not, what that means for me is if I'm in a relationship with somebody that's really not healthy, um, I may even need to walk away from it, Absolutely. you know, and Absolutely. that's a pretty painful thing to, to do. And, and Very also hard to detach. Yes. Oh, and, and especially if you have with codependency comes feeling responsible for everybody's feelings. And so oh. you feel like you're going to, you're going to like be this horrible person and they're going to like hate you or kill themselves or whatever. Right. And so, yeah. And so that, that was a huge, uh, going to CODA meetings was like, I remember sitting in these CODA meetings. And people saying, yeah, I, I told my mom no, and I um, finally don't feel guilty anymore. And I'm like, that was like a huge thing for me to hear, you know. That and, was the most beautiful thing. The feeling yeah. that you get, you know, when you put out those boundaries and you mm-hmm. actually have the strength to stand on them. Yes. And when you understand that, okay, they may be upset. They may, you know, all of these different responses that they may have that you have to be okay with that. And when you stand on it and it actually, um, how can I say, I I don't want to say it works. It may not be what you thought in your head, but when you actually stand on it, no matter what the response is, it feels really, really good. Because most times I would cave because I was afraid that they would abandon me or be upset with me or blame me or, right. or try to guilt trip me. But it, no matter what their response was, I stood on my boundary. It felt so good. Yes, absolutely. Well, and, and I think that the key that, that I needed for to, to not cave is to have a supportive group of people that were on a similar path to so, yes. so that I'm not alone just in case they do kick me out of their life or I need to let them go. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah. So it gives co- that support for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, really what I learned as, as far as the realizing I had complex trauma was codependency is like with, with uh, complex PTSD, which is a more severe form of a post traumatic stress disorder, uh, because it happens over an extended period of time during it, typically during childhood where you're exposed to uh, several types of, you know, either a parent with mental health issues like anxiety or depression or addiction, or you, you witness parents fighting either emotionally or physically, or um, you are emotionally abused or neglected by your parents or physically mm-hmm. neglected, sexually abused, phys- you know? Mm-hmm. So the point is, is um, the, the, the whole thing about complex PTSD is, your brain, body, and mind develop differently because you are that that, that type of uh, experience as a child is 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 called toxic stress, and it 
it causes these changes in your brain and body and mind. And one of the, so there's a fight, flight, freeze thing with trauma, right? Well, the fourth F is fawn, F-A-W-N, like fawning over, which is codependency. Yes. And this is what I learned. Uh, I had no idea that codependency is actually a trauma. It's a nervous system trauma response. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so like when I read, I don't know if you're familiar with Pete Walker, um, he wrote the book, Mm -hmm. uh, complex PTSD from surviving to thriving. And in it, he talks about how the fawn, so fight, flight, freeze and fawn. Some people refer to it as, uh, uh, where is it? Anyway, I'll find it. But the point is, is that when you're a child and you are faced with either being complicit to your parent or being true to yourself, you'll always choose your parent because in your mind, it's it's either life or death. And so your your nervous system goes into a fawn response. So you're, you know, trying to, to be there for them in whatever level and you have to give yourself up. And so really uh, what he talks about is um, it's here. Actually, I have some notes here. The mm-hmm. codependency or fond response is an attempt to please or, app- or appease our primary caregiver uh, uh, or our, or our partner as an adult so that they won't ab- abandon us. Absolutely. So basically the threat, just like there's a threat with a fight, flight and freeze response, the threat with codependency or the fond response is abandonment. Yes. And, and so, um, you know, just understanding that was so powerful for me because it's not just a psychological thing. It's mm-hmm. not just, oh, I'm going to feel shame or guilt or whatever if I don't do what they want. There's a reason. It's, yeah. You actually have a, a visceral response that can shut you down and not be able to take care of yourself until you get healing. Oh, I tell you, I love that you were able to go, I know it's, it sounds crazy. I, it's, it, I'm very careful when I say things like that because I don't want people to take it wrong. But I believe that people go through things for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you use that healing to tell your story in order to help people that may be going through the exact same thing today, I think that's beauty because you had the mm-hmm. strength to get through it. So I really feel as though it's beautiful that you were able to go to all of these different anonymous meetings and mm-hmm. um, to get the different lessons. Because a lot of people may think that if you go to is it Overeaters Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or CODA, Codependence Anonymous or, or Alcoholics Anonymous, right, that it's exactly the same mes- message. Nope. It's not. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think it's necessary to find the thing that thing that you're recovering from and get the help from those particular people right absolutely um, so i think that that is beautiful that Thank you. you were able to first name what it was that was going on with you right yes and even going to um the you said that there was a gay aa right yes so can you talk about that a little bit just for those sure. In the audience that may not know that that is something Available. that's offered, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So you know, when I, I got sober in 1987, and uh, it was a lot, much more homophobic time than it is now. But even now, in, d- depending on where you live or how you were raised or whatever, there's still 
literally structural homophobia. So anyway, so knowing that there was gay a meeting, gay AA meetings that I could go to was critical because, you know, you can show up and, and just be your authentic self and not worry about, you know, your, if your partner's with you that, oh, this is my partner. And, and the whole crux of 12 step is, is really replacing the unhealthy behavior with healthy relationships. Yes. You know, I mean, you know, when I got down to all of, you know, the, the food, the drugs, the alcohol, the codependency, it was all related to me not being able to get my emotional needs met in a healthy relationship. So, uh, yeah, like all the 12 step groups are based on, re- on relationships. So that's, so finding people that are struggling with the same thing that you are is so de-shaming. It's like, oh my God, I am not this broken, weak failure that right. nobody's ever going to love, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I, you know, it also will teach you how to interact in healthy ways in relationships or with alcohol uh, or drugs, how to, how to find healthy ways to self-soothe. Um, and, you know, for people that are not into 12 step, there's other programs out there. There's all Mm -hmm. kinds of smart recovery. There's, you know, if you go online, um, Mm -hmm. in my book, I list all of the different programs for everything from, and, and as I'm sure you're aware of, there are many more addictions than substances or food or codependency. I mean, you know, there's shopping, there's, porn, there's sex, there's right. screen time, there's gaming. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And um, so it's really important to, to find a, a group. I'm that tribe. Or, or even if you're not, you know, the, here's the thing about complex PTSD is it's relational trauma in, at its heart because it happens in the context of close relationships. And so for some people, their trauma was so overwhelming that they're just not comfortable with people hardly at all. So their first contact for recovery might need to be with a therapist or a coach, a trauma coach. Right. right. And so, um, and then maybe then like for me, it was groups, but, uh, but you might, you know, if you're not comfortable going to a group, uh, you know, at least going to a therapist, there's all kinds of programs out there that uh, can help you with that. So, so if a person wonders if they are suffering from complex PTSD, what are some of the things that they would need to look at within themselves? Sure. Well, interestingly, complex PTSD is a, it's a set of symptoms. And, uh, and just to kind of pretext this, I didn't, the reason I didn't find out I had complex PTSD until I was 57 years old, even though I'd been in recovery for over 30 years, was because I thought I had to be sexually or physically abused to be considered a trauma survivor. So the fact that being exposed to my mom raging at my dad while she was drunk several times a week for a decade, the bullying at school, the homophobia, um, I didn't realize that that could cause a post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. But once I, I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, yes. I was like, oh my God, it was so, so I know it was so amazing. And so, so I want to say that is, is first of all, you don't, I, there's 12 reasons wh- that I write about in my book, why people don't recognize their own or others trauma. And that's one of them. Um, so first of all, uh, the symptoms are that it shows up as anxiety, anxiety disorders, because your brain gets changed and you have a, what's called a hyper aroused brain. It shows up as depression. 
it should, and I'm not saying everybody with anxiety or depression has complex right. people. I'm just saying it, it's just, these are symptoms. Addiction, um, you know, like when you have a brain, body, and mind that's been changed by trauma, it's a really uncomfortable body and brain and mind to live in, you know? And so you're, there's a, a, a compelling desire to soothe that discomfort, whether it's anxiety or shame or uh, loneliness, which is super common with us. Yes. Um, so addiction to food or, or drugs, alcohol, uh, toxic relationships, staying mm -hmm. in relationships. Uh, this is really common. Staying, you know, since if we don't do our relationship and codependency recovery healing, we're going to pick relationships that that are similar, that feel like home to us. Yeah. And, um, you know, so unless we do this healing, it's going to be difficult not to break that cycle. Right. So relationship difficulties, where there's a lot of arguing or maybe even violence. Um, another thing is um, being uh, clumsy, actually. Your brain, when you have brain uh, impacts from childhood trauma, you can actually sort of just be, you know, kind of clumsy and trip over things a lot and um, attention disorders. See, the thing with complex PTSD is that the frontal part of the brain that's in charge of focus and emotional regulation and uh, impulse control underdevelops because it needs uh, to deal with this toxic environment. You need to overdevelop the fight, flight, freeze part of the brain, the back part of the brain. Mm -hmm. So that's why... Um, so many people with complex PTSD have ADHD, ADHD or other attention disorders. Um, so attention issues. Also, um, when you go through a conflict, um, either completely going numb and feeling nothing or completely raging and being inappropriate. So mm -hmm. emotional regulation is a dysregulation is a very common symptom. And so you might, react to uh, a slight by somebody that most people would be like, well, that person's a jerk with rage or, right. you know, so overreacting. another person may think, oh, that was right. over the top. Right. But that's how they dealt with it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest symptoms is difficulty in close relationships. Um, yes. and, and the reason is because when we are raised in an environment with close relationships, our family, where there's all this tension and chronic toxic stress, our nervous system is in this state of hyper arousal, just being around people in close relationships. So it, so for me, what I noticed, like, is I would, when I would go to social environment, you know, social functions and stuff like that, I would, now I didn't understand it at the time, but I would, you know, start eating a lot more, or drinking more caffeine or going to the bathroom and scrolling on my phone, or I was really uncomfortable, really. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, and the other thing is, um, people that avoid relationships completely, um, right. because it's just too triggering and too uncomfortable. So they'll maybe have dogs or cats, but they won't do relationships. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, the good news though, even though this may sound really overwhelming is that we can heal our nervous system, our brain, body, mind, but you do need more than talk therapy or 12 step programs to heal. Um, since the, the, the trauma lives in your nervous system, as well as your mind, your worldview. Um, and that's what I talk about in my book. In fact, I'll show you a copy. I was going to say, speaking of the book, let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, 
It's called, it's not about food, drugs, or alcohol. It's about healing complex PTSD. And so I have, uh, it's, it's, it's part memoir, part science-based research and part complex PTSD workbook and addiction recovery guide. Mm -hmm. And I have a whole chapter on codependency on, uh, it says codependency and attempt to stay safe in a crazy family. And, uh, and how to heal. And so, and I've got a bunch of worksheets and quizzes and questionnaires. So, you know, as, as the, the coach part of me wants you to not only learn about this, but also have uh, a workbook to heal. So and so tools I, as well as a workbook to use yeah. with the tools. Oh, that's good. exactly. Yeah. 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 So, and I, I li- I have an appendix that's got like all of the, different organizations, 12-step groups, as well as trauma or complex PTSD organizations. Um, oh, by the way, in the book, I also share my story uh, nice. of what happened to me growing up. And there's pictures of me as a little four-year-old. And then when I'm six or seven, you can see I'm a yeah. chubby little girl and I'm getting bigger. And, and then I lose a bunch of weight. Then I gain it. I mean, yeah, it's so. Right. It really gets detailed about your story. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And your recovery as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing, I think a huge piece that is so important about this is to recognize that these struggles with relationships, codependency or food or weight or substances, it's not our fault. It's not our fault that we were exposed to this kind of toxic stress. And, um, and this is not about, you know, and, and, uh, it gives us an opportunity to have compassion for ourselves which is the first step in healing. And um, because shame is one of the biggest uh, bl- blocks to healing, because it's like, if I have to, you know, because for me, I did the reason I didn't come out about my history of addiction and obesity, because I've been maintaining 160 pound weight loss for 20 years and been sober for all these years. But I was so sick of looking bad and feeling bad about my life that I just didn't right. want to bring it forward. Yeah. And, um, and yet I knew I could help a lot of people. And so it wasn't until I learned it was complex PTSD and I could prove it. Uh, actually the ACE study, um, are you familiar? It's called the adverse childhood experiences study where you take a, a 10 question quiz. Uh, it's in the book and literally it talks about all of, I mean, I can actually show you a couple of the, the slides here. Um, it shows you all of the ways that uh, either emotional abuse, emotional de- neglect, physical abuse, physical neglect, all the different things that can happen, can happen, um, can cause trauma. So here, just a second, just a second. Here it is. I call, um, so these are charts. Okay. You can see them. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So these charts show basically adverse childhood adverse childhood experiences and the prevalence of adult alcoholism so it's rated by if you had zero adverse childhood experiences you have like maybe a 3% chance of becoming an alcoholic but if you have four or more which is either sexual abuse physical abuse emotional neglect physical neglect being raised by a parent with addiction or mental health issues uh anyway you have a 700% higher chance of becoming an alcoholic. I mean, it's just okay. unbelievable. And so I have the ACE study in here that you can take. And um, I also have a complex PTSD quiz in here that you can take. 
So it's really, it's, I, I did five years of intense research on complex PTSD and addiction and codependency. So it's, it's and a you way to a beautiful book for us. Yeah. So um, I think the whole point here is that I wanted to help other people heal sooner because if I had known none of the therapists that I had seen over the 30 years ever mentioned that my symptoms could be trauma. And if I had uh, known, I would have dug right in and gotten into healing on a, a brain and a body mind level. And I would have saved myself a lot of suffering. So my goal with this book is, you know, is to let you know you're not bad. You're not broken. It's not your fault. You can heal. And here's how you do it. Here's the map and the guidebook. Ah, that's wonderful. So as we said earlier, the book will be released February 21st. And where can they find the book? It's on Amazon.com in ebook and in paperback. And um, also, um, you know, if you would like to, if your listeners would like to to stay in, to, in touch with me, you can go to my website, MaryGiuliani.net. I also offer individual coaching as well as uh, speaking engagements. And uh, I have all kinds of videos on my YouTube channel. And so I'm like really passionate about uh, researching all of this. So I'm yes. always updating and and stuff like that. So it's so good. You're going to be such a great resource for our listeners. So I thank you so, so, so very much for being on the show. This is so good. And I'm going to make sure that I put all of your information in the show notes. So guys, if you want to know more about her book, her website, everything that she offers, just check out the show notes. It'll be there. Um, we're going to add her to the codependent me Facebook page and she'll, you know, give out some tips there. And you just never know where you're going to be able to find Mary when it comes to her yeah. and the codependent me. I think it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful kinship. So thank awesome. you again. Well, thank you for your work. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. So I want to remind everyone that you matter. And your story matters. And I completely understand that you can choose any podcast, but you chose this, chose this one and I thank you. So for me and Mary, we want to thank you and say have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time. So thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me. And check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.